sometimes feel that there's nobody to talk to about the things you need to talk about? Well, look no further. Welcome to Paper Hope Next Generation on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Rio, Tamara, and Yvonne are here to discuss the topics you've been asking about. Now, here's Paper Hope Next Generation. Every two minutes, another American is sexually assaulted. 44% of victims are under the age of 18. 93% of juvenile sexual assault victims know their attackers. Welcome to the program. My name is Yvonne Allen. This is the Paper Hope Next Generation on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Today we have Mama Bear with us. And we have Rio. Hello. And we're just going to be going over the topic of um, sexual abuse today. Um, it's very prevalent in a few of our lives here at the set. So we're going to open up and tell you our stories. Um, first, we're just going to kind of go over a little bit of what sexual abuse is because it is very different to different people. Not a lot of people can understand if they've not been in the situation. And a lot of people that have been in this situation don't know that they are victims. So, excuse me if I get a little breathy here. <laughs> Both of us, sorry. I think I've come back to myself. Again, I'm good. Hi, you guys. I'm here. <laughs> I was giving you stats in the beginning. Yvonne and I are going to take turns to get through this. And um, I do want to caveat before we get started that the conversation could be a bit graphic yeah. as we go through this. Um, it's not for tiny ears, though. Um, please, parents, use your discretion, because I believe that this topic is something that we should talk to our daughters from the moment they understand words. Yeah. But as I said, some of our discussion today could be pretty graphic, so perhaps listen to it and then use your discretion. Okay. So the basic definition of sexual abuse is that sexual abuse is forcing undesired sexual contact. Um and not a lot of people really understand exactly the terms of sexual contact, so we've kind of broken it down here. Um, some forms of sexual contact and activities that are considered sexual abuse are as follows. Fondling from either party, the forcer or the victim. Showing of private parts. Sexual intercourse. Oral and anal sex. Forcing a child to watch while others have sexual intercourse. Incest. Displaying pornography or using the victim to create pornography prostitution, rape, unwanted, sex, unwanted sexting or conversation, um, and that includes nude photos or videos being shared among devices. Um, to break down what incest was specifically, we've kind of, I know that's kind of an abstract term to a lot of people, um, so incest is any form of um, sexuality between a family member or close relative um, and any sexual activity is the way that you express your sexuality. So any of the above terms that we talked about for sexual contact would be included. I think it's really important to point that out because um, growing up, I didn't really understand what those definitions meant. And it gave me a lot of problem as I was growing up because I thought, I'm not a victim. This, this doesn't belong to me. This belongs yeah. to somebody else. Um, and as Yvonne said, we're going to be sharing our personal stories. And it's, it's super difficult because I don't really talk about this a whole lot in public. I talk about this around my close friends and really not even my family, which yeah. is difficult. 
And as you know, with Paper Hope, it's all about the journaling that I've done. And even in the, like, the first four years of my journaling, I didn't even talk about it. It wasn't until I went inpatient to do my treatment for my recovery that suddenly I was free to be able to talk about it and write about it. But even sitting here with you and some of my most beloved friends, my throat is closing off. All of us, are, all of our throats are closing off. So bear if you, with us. Bear with us. There's something very important about sharing your story, and that's why we're doing it today. And... Um, I want to let everybody know, too, that my story um, will be presented with RAIN. And those of you that don't know what RAIN is, it's a great organization to not only get statistics, but to also get help. RAIN stands for Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. And this year, I was accepted to be one of their national speakers on their speaker bureau, which was a huge step for me, because this means I'll be speaking about it publicly more and more and more, and it's definitely very important to me. And this month they selected me to be one of, I think two people are in this spotlight survivor, or is it, did I say that right? Survivor spotlight for July. So I've been interviewed by Rain. I've turned in all my questions. It's in the process of being edited. So perhaps by the time this show airs, it will be out in print as well. So I felt like it was a good time for us collectively to share our stories and start talking more about it because it's interesting that, you know, the work we do with g young girls and teenagers, um, I always feel like we're dancing around it. Yeah. I always feel like I want to help you, but I'm not being as transparent as I should be. Um, and I think the sad thing about it is a lot of times victims feel shame and I'm tired of feeling that. That's exactly how I felt. Like it's my fault, but... It's not your fault if mm -mm. you're the victim. It's not your fault at all, no matter who's trying to make you believe that or if you yourself, it was all me just blaming myself for everything. No one ever stepped in. No one ever knew because I kept it to myself. So, Yeah, and I think a lot of times I, we've talked about this, Yvonne and I, that, yeah. and I think a lot of victims can relate to this, that when it's happening, you don't even know that it's wrong. Exactly. I think that's the hardest part. It wasn't until I became an adolescent and I started recognizing feelings in myself towards other people. And I thought, this is really not right. How is this happening to me? Because in my story, I'm an incest survivor. My grandfather was my perpetrator. And it, ha it started, oh, it's hard. It started happening for me when I was about 10. The hardest part for me right now is that my youngest daughter is fastly approaching age 10. And I see so much of myself in her prior to these things happening. And it makes me very angry because it all changed for me around age 10. Everything changed. And I didn't even know it until I became an adolescent. I started to have attraction physical feelings, and these things were similar to what was happening with my grandfather. So a lot of confusion set in. When I was in junior high, I had an inkling that something was wrong, and there were other things going on in my family that I was more easy, it was, I was more able to talk about those things than the sexual abuse. And I went to 
my junior high counselor, I need to specify that too, yeah. not necessarily a trained professional, an individual who was given the title of counselor. This man, I told him some of the things that were going on in my house. I said, I don't think my grandfather knows who I am when he drinks. This is how I started every conversation. I wanted to kind of test the waters and see. And this man said to me, you better be very careful who you tell this to because you could ruin your family. Do you think I continued talking about it? No. No. I wouldn't. Just shut you down. It shut me down completely. And I became very aware that this was my problem, which I want to tell folks if you're listening and if you're listening and you yourself are being perpetrated or you know someone who's been perpetrated, um, these things are not your fault. They weren't mine. They weren't yours. I think sometimes that's the hardest pill to swallow, even still. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll sit here and I still blame myself. Like, not necessarily blame myself. I know that I was out of my control, but I, I feel like... I'm over-exaggerating or I can't be thinking like this can't actually have happened to me. It couldn't, it wasn't real. Like I'm just making this all up, but obviously the facts are quite different in that <clears throat> aspect. So it's very screws with your insanity. You're with your sanity. With your sanity. No, I spent yeah. a lot of time in my life feeling like I was completely insane, oh, yeah. completely insane. And, um, I just want to let folks know that if you're listening that, um, you're not insane. You're absolutely the sanest one out of the bunch, actually. <laughs> um, that's only taken me, what, how many years? I'm 44. It's taken me 30, I can't do short math, <laughs> 34 years to figure out. Um, and part of the reason why Yvonne and I are enduring this moment, because a lot of victims don't talk about it. And I want that to change. Mm. And you can tell by the way that we're speaking that it's excruciatingly difficult. Oh, yeah. I feel like my throat's closing up. My mouth is dry. Um, obviously, I have tears squirting out of my eyes. It's just really hard to go back and talk about it. Mm. But I think that it's important because if you're suffering or you need help, you have to reach out and get it. And that's part of the reason why I'm on the Reigns Speakers Bureau is I want to be out talking about it more. I'm tired of hiding behind a facade. I want to be very transparent, not only with those of you in this room, but people in our audience too. Just being able, I feel like for both Tamara and I, if this just reaches one person and one person is able to get on the right path of being able to overcome the situation that they've been through, then I feel like I've done my job. Absolutely. Hopefully more, but if one person's life has changed for the better, then I'll be content and even I'm, if it's hard to get through. And I, this, this is going to, hopefully I don't choke this out, but I'm going to try and tell you this, Yvonne, that there have been many times that I've thought about walking away from this project because it wasn't being true to who I was and the message I wanted. But every time I looked in your face... I knew I couldn't stop because where there's one of you, there's a million. And if I could make one thing right in this world from what happened to me, it would be you. It would be to keep 
Rio and you've earned and Lindsay's safe and all of our daughters. And I know that's really lofty <laughs> because I can't I can't reach my arms around the world and do that. But I can start right here and I can start with you. And I can start with my daughter and I can start with Anu's daughter, Aria, and I can start with Lindsay. I can start with JJ. You I can start with you. And that's where I'm gonna be. So you kept me on this path. God <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I've come a long way since being on the show. Oh my uh, gosh. Take a we, break. Yeah, <laughs> do need to um, take a break. This is real. Hi, I'm still here. Paper <laughs> um, of Next Generation. We'll be right back. The Paper Hope Next Generation. Want to ask a question or select a topic for a future show? Please send an email to info at paperhope.com. That's info at paperhope.com. Now, back to Rio, Tamara, and Yvonne on Paper Hope Next Generation. Welcome back to the program, Paper Hope Next Generation. I'm your show host, Tamara Wade, and I'm sitting here with my daughter, Yvonne. Hi. I'm going to try and lighten it up just a tiny bit. <laughs> oh, I mean, hey. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that sound you get in your voice when you've been crying? Uh, hi. <laughs> hi. Um, yeah, we're talking about something super serious today, and um, I'm so glad you're here listening to us today and being a part of the conversation because truly you guys are the reason why we do this work and why Yvonne and I are putting ourselves out there to tell you our personal stories. We're talking about sexual abuse today. And in the last segment, Yvonne gave us some forms of sexual contact and activities. Um, I think they're very important. And I think that for me, as I've gotten older and we actually have the internet, because I didn't have the internet when I started doing this work, um, finding a solid definition that resonated with me was extremely difficult. Even though I was in therapy and I had therapists talking to me, sometimes between therapist and victim or victim to victim, um, we just assume that the definition is there. And I don't know if that's the case for everyone, but for me, it was a big deal to get the definition of what component I fell into. Well, it's validating. It was completely validating because I was like, oh, that's a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I belong to that thing. And that's why as an outside uh, spectator of this whole thing, I mm-hmm. made sure that in the definitions when we were talking about sexual abuse, that everything is included. And that's why we added the sexting or the unwanted mm-hmm. sexual conversations. Yeah. Um, because on the outside, I, I see a lot of, there's a lot of people in my life that have experienced sexual mm-hmm. abuse. And there's a lot of confusion among them as to um, if, like you were Is saying, if, right, th- right. Do I even, I mean, I'm exaggerating. Like, I feel like mm-hmm. that, that is a big, like, I hate that. I if just want to like punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah. If you have the feeling in your stomach that you've been sexually abused, don't doubt that stomach. Don't doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> don't doubt that feeling. Intuition, feeling. It's yeah. It's definitely right. 
everyone's everyone kind of has their own perception and their own definition so mm-hmm. you right have, you have to deal with that process just the same as I would have to deal with my process right so. And I, yeah, that's a good point too, Yvonne. I think the process of getting to um, moving from a victim role into a survivalship is definitely a process and it's not pretty. I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It kind of sucks really bad actually, but I don't want to discourage anyone from embarking on that process because for me, it's enabled me to, to live a very full and healthy, happy life. So on the other side of your work is your life. Right. Yeah, I got my life back because I had a choice early on. And then and I know, like with a lot of victims, that choice involves suicide. Right. That was definitely a choice for a long time. I liked that choice for a long time. I was like, that's my friend. I'm all, that's my go-to. Right. Um, fortunately for me, I got help and I got on the path to recovery and that no longer is a choice. And um, those listening, I want you to take that off the table as a choice, and I want you to get help. Um, Rain, like we talked about in the last segment, they're rain.org. It's R-A-I-N-N.org. Um, they are a great resource. I have some phone numbers for us at the end that I'm going to share with you um, so that you can speak confidentially if you want to embark on your um, telling of your story. You know, right. there's 800 numbers available that you can speak to people anonymously and confidentially. Um, for me, as I was explaining in the last segment, I started reaching out and I was met with, um, I don't even know how you would call what you would call that, like just shut down completely. Right. Um, my counselor in school was like, don't talk about this because you'll ruin your family. Um, the next time I talked about it, I was 18 years old <clears throat> and I was getting ready for my high school graduation and I wouldn't come out of the bathroom. And my mom came in and she said, you know, you need to get out of the bathroom. Your grandparents are here. It's time to go to your graduation. And I wouldn't leave. She came back in and she said, you know, this is really getting annoying. You need to come out of the bathroom. And I said, I don't want to leave the bathroom because he's out there and I know he's drunk. I don't even need to have seen him. Um, I don't think he knows who I am when he's drunk. And just for those of you that don't know, I'm an adopted child also. So this added another level of complication. So I thought if she knew that I that he didn't know who I was when he was drunk, that she would get what I was saying. And my mom looks in the mirror and starts to you know fix her makeup and she says, oh yeah, I couldn't bring my friends home either. I couldn't bring them home from school. And I was like, oh my God, I'm there. she's listening to me. This is going to be great. And I went out and I had my picture taken with my grandfather and his hand on my breast in front of everyone and thought, at least later on, at least later on, we're going to have this conversation. Well, later on came and I brought it up with my mom again. And she said, I never said that. I don't know what you're talking about. You're making this up. I'm 18. I've just graduated. I packed up my shit and I left my house. I was either going to join the army or work for Disneyland. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. She got the good option. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you think I chose? Disneyland. Disneyland. I actually had gone through the whole process with the army. Like I was almost sworn in. They had my social security card, everything. I was like, I don't even care if you ship me off somewhere far away that I'll never return. That's a good option right now. So I left and I divorced them. And 
while we're talking about my parents, I want to make sure that people kind of see the evolution of where I am now. Because as an 18-year-old, I hated my mom and dad for what had happened. I didn't see them for the human beings that they are. And that took a lot of time. And that was very personal. I want to point out to folks that you don't have to, by the way. You don't ever have to see people that abandon you or your perpetrator as humans. You don't have to. You can hate them for your whole life. And that's your choice. And I'm on board with that choice, too. Like, I just want to put it out there. I'm not trying to say that this is better or worse. This is just my personal journey with my family. Um, I did a lot of work in soul searching because I wanted to love my mom. I wanted to love my dad. I, I hated the thought of losing them, too. And so through the anger and all of the fighting and everything that we did over those years, I came to some realization that they did the best they could with what they had. They, they didn't know how to take care of me in that moment. I'm still angry about it. In fact, I think a lot of times that betrayal and that abandonment was worse than the actual abuse. abuse. I'm still struggling with that. I struggled with it with my grandfather and my grandmother because everyone left me to him and did not take care of me. So becoming a mom and staring in the face of my children, I couldn't believe that it had happened. I couldn't believe. I was so enraged. How, how could you have done this to me? I'm precious. My children are precious. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. But over the years, um, I've learned how to love my mom where she's at. And I'm happy to say that I do love her very much. And I think if she heard this tape, which she might, it'll hurt her in a lot of ways. And I don't want that. I don't want people to judge her or make assumptions about it because... It's different in every family. And people could look at me and say, well, you're a fool. You shouldn't do that. And that's okay, too. I'm, I'm really okay with that as well. Um, these are the choices I've elected to make. This is the walk and road I'm on. And we don't know what tomorrow will be. I, today, right now, we're in a good place, my mom and dad and I. And I wanted to make sure I said that because I think the first reaction is to is be like, well, what do you mean your parents didn't help right. you? I think that happens a lot. Right. I think it happens more than... You would think? I'm on a lot of message boards for different articles that are written about PTSD and sexual assault and sexual abuse. And I see a lot of mothers, fathers included, posting on these boards saying, my daughter's just come to me and told me that she's been victimized. I would just like it to go away. I'm astonished. Who's flash? It's the truth. And I want to put that out there as well because I, when I first started reading these responses, I was completely shocked because I thought, oh my God, we're in like 2014 and people right. are still saying this. What the crap? <laughs> I mean, like, there's so many more tools, there's so much more information. And then it occurred to me, I'm like, oh, but there isn't. There really isn't. Like, there's no guidebook. There's no, parents don't have a clue on how, how to, deal. to deal with this. And I know we're kind of getting off on a tangent. Um, I would like to kind of move away from my story. I want to revisit maybe some tools Definitely. in a little bit to help parents if they've just been 
told. Told that they were. Um, but I want to ask you if you feel comfortable sharing your story at this point. Yeah. Yes. Let me gather figure yourself. out how to okay. put it into words. Okay. So um, as a young baby, I was already in an, I was born into a family that was already broken. They were already, my mom had already planned on leaving my biological father who just a quick caveat, I do call him dickhead. <laughs> um, so if I say that, that's who I'm talking about. It's, I mean, his name was short name for what his was Dick. So <laughs> it's just what our family has adapted to. So if you hear that, that's who I'm talking about. Um, when she, she had decided to divorce him and she found out she was pregnant with me. Um, so she stayed up until I was born and then he forced her out. So I was basically raised by my brother who was four and my sister who was two um my dad was a alcoholic a really bad alcoholic he drank from the second he woke up to the second he went to sleep um he did all types of drugs he wasn't mentally ever sober in any way whatsoever um and once you know my mom had left I guess he had decided that that role was going to be taken on by my sister and myself so this is from when I was a newborn to when I was about seven years old. Um, he would, we would have to take alternate nights sleeping in his bedroom, my sister and I, and I later found out my brother was also involved in that. But me and my sister shared a room and we had a bunk bed. It's not like there weren't enough beds for everybody. And every other night, my sister and me would switch off sleeping in Richard's bed and we had to sleep with no clothes on and I was just a little baby so you know I don't know what's what's going on I was raised in this I was to think that this was normal I didn't know but I never talked about it I felt it was more as like a punishment for me misbehaving or something so I thought you know I deserved whatever was happening um so that happened until my mom got custody at about seven years old um but a lot of young children tend to block out um, bad events that happened to them when they were younger. I don't know. It's just a mental block that they put in, so it acts like it never even happened. It completely skips over in any memories whatsoever. So I was fine until about um, with that situation. I was fine until I was in about sixth grade. Um, I started having nightmares. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. I started having one specific nightmare of me at the age and like a little baby version of me sitting next to me and Dickhead would take her and take her to the back room and close the door and all I could hear was screaming and crying and me trying to get into the room to save her because in the back of my mind I knew what was going on and I couldn't get in the room and I couldn't help myself and it, it was so this feeling of complete helplessness mm -hmm. and betrayal because it's supposed to be your father it's supposed to be someone that's supposed to protect you and he's putting you right in right in dangerous way and I just did, I wasn't understanding my dreams and then I kept really thinking about it when I was waking up during the day and having all these nightmares and kind of putting the pieces together and the memories started coming back and my mom the final like say so and you know that it was true and I wasn't just making everything up I wasn't crazy as we went to go see my gynecologist and he did a pap smear on me and I'm sixth grade I'm like 10 years old if that 
he told me that I wasn't a virgin and no 10 year old should not right. have that told to them when they never made a choice to not be a virgin in the first place. So that's when my family kind of started dealing with that situation. Let's take a break. <laughs> yeah, let's take a break, you guys. You're listening to Paper Hope Next Generation on the Voice American Empowerment Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? You're listening to the Paper Hope Next Generation. Want to ask a question or select a topic for a future show? Please send an email to info at paperhope.com. That's info at paperhope.com. Now, back to Rio, Tamara, and Yvonne on Paper Hope Next Generation. Welcome back to the program, Paper Hope Next Generation on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm your show host today, Tamara Wade, and I'm here with Yvonne Allen and my other daughter, Pooh, Rio Wade. Hey. And we just took a break because we're talking about some pretty serious stuff. Um, we're talking about sexual abuse, and Yvonne and I are sharing our personal stories with sexual abuse. In the last couple segments, we've given you some definitions um, that we think are important. We also think it's important that you find your own definition in this. Um, Yvonne, let me start with this. I shared a little bit about what had happened to me. Yvonne is sharing right now with what's happened to her in the past. And even though our circumstances are different, um, the definitions are very similar for us. All right, so... Um, just as a recap on what incest was, was any sexual activity with a family member or a close relative. It doesn't have to be, um, by blood, like Tamara was adopted. Um, and I was sort of adopted, not legally, but by terms with my mom's boyfriend. He had basically raised me from when I was in fourth grade up until about my freshman year of high school when we lost contact with him. Um, and so... I mean, I blame myself a lot for this, especially because I remember thinking about it. I remember thinking about a scenario where, and I've never said this to anybody before, I remember thinking of a scenario where he would approach me and ask if I wanted to see his man parts in my head and not 
not even like a month after that happened, my mom had went to bed early and my sister and brother were in their rooms. And I was just watching TV, you know, just sitting on the couch and he was sitting next to me and he asked, he asked me something, I don't even remember what. And then he pulled his pants down and was like telling me to grab his parts. And that was someone that I was supposed to trust, someone new. And so at that point, you know, I just figured this is how it is with everybody. This is how it's always going to be because this is supposed to be the other man in my life that's not supposed to put me in these situations. But apparently, you know, that's how it's supposed to go. And then times after that, it would be in his room sleeping on the bed or whatever. And I'd wake up and my hand would be on his parts again. And I didn't put it there. And so, I, you know, I'd move my hand over and turn over and... I'd wake up again and my hand would be back on his part. So I, I eventually, you know, as I got older, I just went to my bedroom and I locked the door behind me so I could be by myself, not knowing that he was just forcing it on my other siblings. Um, and he used to make, he used to give us back massages and he would do it while there was other people in, in the room and he would massage your back, you know, like normal. And then he would just push his hands up mm -hmm. into the front of me and like <coughs> caress my, like mm -hmm. my breast yep. and, I remember feeling, it felt so wrong mm -hmm. that he was, like, touching me, and it just made me really, like, squirmy, and I I felt sick to my stomach, but I never talked to anybody about it, because I felt like it was my fault, and that I deserved it, and I was very, very alone yeah. in this whole feeling. I never, t I mean, I didn't even know this stuff was going on with my sister, either, until I was well into high school, and we finally had lost contact with Jeff, and, um... My biological father had passed away my freshman year of a very painful death, and I can't say that I'm not happy about that. I remember that. I remember sitting with <laughs> you. Like and The happiest moment of yeah. life. So um, as I started dealing with this, mm -hmm. it was really something that was hard for me in high school because, you know, that's when you're, as a, you know, as a teenage girl, actually getting into what sexuality is in your terms. And for me, it was so obstructed by what had happened as a kid that I'd, I threw myself at any guy that would give me attention because I know Dickhead used to say that no man would ever treat me like a girl, um, like I'm a piece of, like that I'm not a piece of meat. They're going to walk all over me, use me, tell me to do, you know, whatever they were they wanted to do. So I just thought that was my role and that's what I was supposed to do. And I let any, and I didn't think about it this way at the time, but any time a guy would ask for sexual favors, that's what I would do because that's what I had to do. That's what I was supposed to do, you know. It's, and I have... And I really beat myself up about that because you do have this society calling you a whore for anything mm -hmm. you did. And so I literally felt like, well, I guess that's just what I'm supposed to be. And I really fought with it and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I had, um, one of my friends had brought me to church and that's where I finally opened up about it to my youth pastor. And he started talking to me about it and I kind of went through like a brief counseling with him, but I hate going to psychiatrists because I feel like I'm crazy. And so I don't want to feel like I'm crazy. So I refuse to go to them, even though I know they can probably help me. But I think it's important to find the right hard. therapist. Yeah. I'm just afraid that they were going to put me on like medication and stuff. So I just yeah. really kept it to myself for a long time until I started talking about it. And once I started talking about it and mm -hmm. like I told my testimony to my church and I had a few girls approach me about them having dealt with similar situations and me being able to like help them through and let them know that they weren't alone was healing to me. Not having to necessarily work through it on my own grounds, but helping others work through it was healing for me knowing that even though this really shitty thing happened to me, I kind of, there is a reason behind it and I'm able to help other people that are facing the same situation. So I think that's critical. 
a lot of survivors who have moved out of their victim roles that have moved into survivalship say the same thing, that it's important for us to reach back and make sure that we're, and forward too, because actually I know women older than me that struggle with this. So to reach towards women who are still in their victimship and bring them forward into their survivalship. It's just sucky. It is. And, you know, I have no words, Yvonne. I, I have no words about it. About it. I, I don't. I, to say that it was terrible is an understatement. To say that it was unbelievable is an understatement. Um, it doesn't only mess with your, your sexuality as a, mm-hmm. as a woman or even as a, as a man. It messes with your trust in other people. Mm-hmm. It messes with your self-confidence, with the way that you perceive almost everything, the way it affects your relationships. I mean, it affects yours still, and it affects mine, and I'm yep. 18, I'm 19 years old. So it, like, will always. And I want to point that out, too. Um, I'm okay being in my survival role. And for a long time, I tried to dismiss it as though I was better. I'm better now. Right. And that's not going to be the case for me. And I don't know if that's the case for all survivors, but for me, in my 40s, I've come to the understanding that I kind of like being in my survivor role. I like my loved ones knowing what footing I'm on. I like, I like them knowing that I need to be treated differently than a quote-unquote normal person because right. I'm not normal. There's it's only, triggers. right, warnings, triggers, symptoms. I mean, and I have all of this from my inpatient work, and I definitely want to share that with you and with our audience. Definitely. We're going to have to put this in a series because I know that so much. time won't let us, so we're definitely going to do that. Um, I call it my disclaimer, and I see one forming for you as well, and that's you know this un, unwritten but spoken way of handling me. Mm-hmm. You know, So when I met my husband, I forget how long ago, it's been a very long time, <laughs> Um, I had my disclaimer present and I was able to say, you know what, I got stuff going on and you're going to have to approach me differently with intimacy and, um, I don't know, emotionally than you would say someone who hasn't had my experience. Mm-hmm. I won't say normal cause I don't know that normal exists, but <laughs> my, my experience, your experience being in a survival role, we have different needs that we mm-hmm. need from not only our partners, but from our friendships as well. Um, you know, I, talking about your experience resonates very strongly with me because I would often find my grandfather's hands in my shirt and on my bare breasts. And as an adult, and this happened to me when I was a child, um, to this day, I cannot be approached that way. So if my husband approaches me from behind and, and wants to sneak in that way, he is innocent in his approach. But to me, it sends me into a hole and it sends me into a place where, um, when we first got together that I would turn around and he's lucky that he didn't get knocked out. (laughs) It took him a while to figure out that, um, there are some off limits Mm -hmm. and, and I want to tell women who are listening, whether you're in a relationship, um, friendship or an intimate one, uh, marriage or otherwise that you're not property. Don't dismiss your feelings. Yeah, you get to say when, even when you are in a committed relationship, regardless of marriage. It's not that you're a property and that your partner gets to dictate when that happens. It doesn't. It's a mutual agreement. 
So I know that we're, we're winding down this segment for a break. I wanted to see if I could open up my computer and give you another couple set of statistics so that you could keep these in mind. And, and I think I'm going to repeat what I said at the beginning of the show because I want you to understand the intensity of this. Every two minutes, another American is sexually assaulted. 44% of victims are under the age of 18. Let me see if I can find the one that really makes me crazy. This one makes me the craziest. 93% of juvenile sexual assault victims know they're So on that note, let's take a break. We'll come back on the other side and talk more about statistics and definitions. You're listening to Voice Voice American Empowerment. And this is Cooper Hope Next Generation. America.tv from the other video content providers on the internet. Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to the Paper Hope Next Generation. Want to ask a question or select a topic for a future show? Please send an email to info at paperhope.com. That's info at paperhope.com. Now, back to Rio, Tamara, and Yvonne on Paper Hope Next Generation. Welcome back to the program, Paper Hope Next Generation on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I'm your show host, Tamara Wade, and I'm sitting here with Yvonne Allen and my daughter, Ipu Rio Wade. And we're talking about sexual abuse. And um, I have a quote that I want to read you from Malala because it is, we're recording on Malala Day. And though I knew that, I didn't kind of connect the dots because I've been in my own kind of weird stupor about the whole thing. Uh, But I want to read you this quote, and it's from Malala. She says, Malala Day is not my day. It is the day of every girl and every boy. It is the day when we come together to raise our voices so that those without a voice can be heard. And it's super, super hard for me to choke that out because that's what we're doing here today. With you listening and with those of us in the room, this has been hard, to say the least, Um, But Yvonne and I have been sharing our personal experience with sexual abuse. 
Um, we've been sharing some statistics that I pulled off the RAIN website. It's RAIN, R-A-I-N-N dot org. And I'm going to give you some more statistics as we take a breath and um, talk about some things about, I don't know how you want to categorize them, but I'm going to read you statistics and then we'll move into um, some more information. Victims of sexual assault are three times more likely to suffer from depression. They are six times more likely to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, 13 times more likely to abuse alcohol, 26 times more likely to abuse drugs, and four times more likely to complete suicide or contemplate suicide. Um, so when you're dealing with someone who has a past similar to Yvonne and mine, or potentially slightly different, but involving some sort of sexual abuse or sexual assault, victims are unique in how they recover. We are unique in how we need to be tended to in our lives. And I think a lot of times, ourselves as victims, because I slip in between being a very strong survivor and flipping into my victim role. And every day of my life is a step towards recovery. I don't know that I will ever achieve full recovery. I've kind of abandoned that. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I feel better about it, actually, than, than thinking that I'm going to run really fast and stuff it really hard and it'll be in my rear view and then I won't have to deal with it. That's not going to be the way for me. It's this show, talking about it, being interviewed by Rain. Um, I think for both Yvonne and I, this is a moment to stop hiding behind something and be more transparent Definitely. with people in our lives. Um, and I want people who are listening to understand too that we have to step away from the shame. We have to step away from secrets. Um, we have to move into more assertive, strong, and telling voices. Because like in Yvonne and my story, this went on for years. It was systemic. Um, you could plan on it. It was going to happen. And yet, I included, I didn't tell a soul. I told no. until what, it, how many years between 10 and junior high, I didn't tell a soul. Didn't know anything was wrong. Um, and I think that's the way for a lot of us. We don't know that something's wrong. So that's why I think definitions are very helpful. Um, I think for parents too, like I said, I've on different boards that I've been on, parents are like, gosh, I just wish this would go away. I want to say to parents that it doesn't go away. Um, not for you, not for the your child. Um, it's not going to go away. And in a lot of ways, we have to grieve the person we were before and start to get to know the person we are after. Because I can look in the face of my almost nine-year-old daughter and think back to that girl that I was then. I'm not her. I don't know what she would have been like had this never happened. I get mad about that sometimes. And then I recognize, oh, I'm here now. I'm not ever going to be that person. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll get to realize it in the face of my own daughters. Right? So yeah. far, so good, Rio. <laughs> Rio said to me, what did you say during, before we started taping, you said? Well, I've just been sitting here this whole time. 
And my mic's been turned down because I just can't even handle, like, the stories. As I mean, because I, obviously I knew that um, there was, that, that was an event in both of your guys' lives, but we never really talked about the details. Mm-hmm. Um, so listening to it was just really hard for me because all I had was my imagination to kind of fill in the gaps of what you guys didn't tell me. Um, but my imagination wasn't even as gruesome as what actually happened in real life. But it kind of goes to show how great it is that I've never had any kind of experience like that, even like remotely close. So I have nothing to draw from. I have no, my imagination couldn't even come up. I've been so far away from that kind of event. And as your mother, when you say that, my heart grows like 10 sizes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. God, thank you. You know, I'm just so grateful that that's been your experience. But that probably wouldn't have happened if you didn't endure what you did. So the cycle could have continued yeah. because I have been faced in my life with situations where mm-hmm. if I didn't know better, I would have been dragged down into a situation like that. Beca- but because of our communication mm-hmm. and your work that you've done after the events in your life, um, you've been able to communicate with me since I could talk that I need to stay away from these things and the warning signs and this and that. So, and same with Lindsay. I mean, mm-hmm. we both know we could recite to you what to do when we are faced with something like that. So, I mean, I feel like that's one of a, one of the other important um, goals of this show. Yeah, and this series, because again, I don't think obviously we're running out of time. I do want to share. Do I have enough time to share that story real we quick? We got three minutes. All right, I'll tell it very quickly. So Rio was five years old, and she had a good friend who was six years old, and the mother and I were very good friends, and. Um, the girl was spending the night at our house and in, in the throes of that, she, Rio and her are alone, ready for bed. And she says to Rio, um, I want to have sex with you. And Rio mm-hmm. said, well, what do you mean by that? And I, if I remember correctly, she said, I want to climb on top of you mm-hmm. and do these things to you. Mm-hmm. She said she wanted to kiss my neck and kiss. that's what sex was. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I, I like paused because it, t- it took me off guard, first of all. And I remember it too. It's not like I'm just like making it up. I kind of thought about it. And I was like, you know, that doesn't really seem like a good idea. I don't think you and I at this age are supposed to be doing that, you mm-hmm. know? I did. I don't think I really knew what sex was, like like actual sex was, right. but I knew that that wasn't it and I wasn't supposed to be doing it. Right. So and that I, kind of contact was wrong. Right. And so I was like, you know, probably not. And she was like, okay. And we just right. went to bed. <laughs> Fortunately, so. it wasn't okay. And... And she right. didn't have to get up and, and get my attention. Right. But I would have if force was applied. Correct. And so she did get my attention in the morning. Mm-hmm. She told me. And so then I had to sit down with the mother and explain what had happened. And fortunately, in this case, the mother was receptive to me right. and said she would have a, a conversation with her daughter. Um, I know that that's not always the case. Definitely and I not. hear from parents on these message boards that are like, yeah, I'm not going to bridge that subject. She's too young. He's too young. <laughs> Obviously not too young to suggest it to one of their friends. Right. They're and getting it, it from somewhere. And it, for a long time, I didn't understand this because I was like, how could that be? It's not their lens. Right. It's not the way they see the world. Right. So those of us who are aware of sexual abuse and sexual assault, we have that in our vision. We have that. We see potential threats. Um, and since also another point, and since I am in, involved in your guys' lives and I have obviously grown up with you, um, even though you didn't tell me in detail your events, I'm able to recognize it in other people. And I feel like that should be our next show mm-hmm. in our series since we're running out of time is 
maybe I should work on my articulation as to how I kind of came up with that. And you, along with Yvonne and me, can formulate some tips and some like trigger identification and all that because I have a best friend that, you know, has been through that too. And I was able to understand her without her even saying anything ever. And I think it helped a lot. And I I pretty much feel like I saved her life um, and she didn't even have to say anything to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's so important for people to have those those types of people in their life. And we need to start building more of those people in the world. So I feel like that's our next step. I think it's very important. It's um, don't ever underestimate the power of, telling one person mm-hmm. um if you've told and not been received well like in my situation keep telling because Someone's you will happen. be received eventually and i was so it will happen i want to give you some phone numbers before we completely run out of time of course i've been speaking about rain um, because i am part of their national speakers bureau um, rain is at uh, r-a-i-n-n.org Um, They also work with the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-HOPE. It's 1-800-656-HOPE. It's 24-7, it's free, and it's confidential. So that is a very good place to start. There's also the Child Help USA. It's a national hotline and website that offers support and response to all child abuse and can connect you to local uh, reporting agencies. And they are at childhelpusa.org that's childhelpusa.org and their hotline is 1-800-422-4453 and I will make sure that I have all of these links and information on our um, not only on paperhope.com but on our Facebook page as well and it's Facebook backslash paperhope so I'm getting the signal that we've run out of time. But before we go, Miss Yvonne, is there any last thoughts? Not that I can think of mm. right now. <laughs> I just got it all out. There. I just want to thank you for being a part Absolutely. of this with me. Yeah. And I feel, I, I know it goes without saying, but Definitely. how brave mm-hmm. of you and how brave of me. And of you, daughtery so. poo. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of just... I'll be useful on the next show. (laughs) So, um, and always you can reach us by email if you have any questions. We're always here for you guys. And the the email is info at paperhope.com. And I want you to know with all of my heart, those of you listening, I I get choked up when I think about it, but I really do love you guys. And there's a reason why we're doing this work. We want to make sure that you find help and that you know that you're not alone. So on that note, (laughs) I love you guys. You've been listening to Paper Hope Next Generation on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. And we'll catch you really soon. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Paper Hope Next Generation. Be sure to check out the blog at paperhope.com for more during the week. And we hope to see you again next Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Bye for now. (laughs) 